O Holy Night uh, that we just sung a little bit ago is probably one of the most beloved Christmas carols of all time. I bet if we took a poll, more people would vote for O Holy Night tonight than just about anything else. I'm sure there'd be a lot of contenders, but uh, it's certainly one of the, uh, the most beloved. And uh, as we think about that night, I want to ask the question, what made it so holy? You know, like so many things, sometimes uh, we get familiar with terms and words and we don't really uh, recognize their significance. Uh, I didn't take the time to look up when that song was written, but uh, certainly as long as we've been singing it, people sort of associate Holy Night with the birth of Christ and Bethlehem and all that, but what do we really mean by that? And in Luke chapter 2, we just sort, sort of saw a contemporary take on that with the social network Christmas, but we want to take a look at what uh, Luke tells us about that. Luke, as you know, was one of the gospel writers, and he wrote uh, per, to a predominantly Gentile audience. That was the purpose of his gospel uh, in the late 50s A.D., uh, after the, birth, the death and resurrection of Christ. And he included selected events from the life and ministry of Christ <clears throat> to really show his original audience and us today, 2,000 years later, uh, that Jesus is the Son of Man who takes away the sin of the world. And that's really the theme in Luke, Luke 19.10. And Luke, among all the gospel writers, includes more details about the birth narrative and the, the occasion of the birth of Christ than any other uh, writer. In fact, when you think about the shepherds and the, the announcement in the sky and then going to visit the manger and all of that, you're thinking about the details that Luke uh, recorded for us. So a holy night. But what does it really mean to be a holy? Uh, uh, that's what I would like us to talk about uh, just for the next few moments. You know, for, for me, my understanding of what it means to be holy was uh, based upon a, a significant a childhood influence of mine. So I, I was born in the 60s and a child of the 70s, and uh, I used to sit glued to the TV every day after school where I learned about holiness from uh, two of the greatest theologians of all time, Batman and Robin. <laughs> Um, I, was a, I was a huge fan of uh, the dynamic duo, and uh, by the time I was watching it, it was in reruns because uh, this uh, sitcom aired from 1966 to 68. I was watching it in the, in the 70s, but I'm sure you're familiar with it. Um, I, I read one uh, article that said in 2016, a poll ranked Batman and Robin as the 82nd greatest American television show of all time. Not sure I can get there, but uh, it's, it was, it was uh, certainly a favorite uh, of mine. And uh, it was also the only sitcom that aired without a laugh track. And so I, I would sit there after school with a little snack, and I would watch this. And, of course, you know, uh, Adam West played Batman, and Burt Ward played uh, Robin, these, these crime-fighting heroes defending Gotham from all kinds of arch-villains. And years later, uh, when I started studying this Luciferian conspiracy that we talked a lot about in uh, the series, The Spirit of the Antichrist, that we did in our Bible study hour, uh, which if you haven't seen that, I encourage you to go back and watch it, I began to, to realize the extent to which Satan's co-conspirators strategically 
were placed throughout government, big business, Hollywood, media. Remember we talked about that in one of the uh, uh, sessions in that series. And I came to realize that my favorite childhood show, like most uh, television shows and movies, was part of a larger mind control effort that has been the linchpin of the Luciferian agenda for centuries. I mean, why, did, why didn't they call television shows programming, right? Um, and if you don't know what I'm, I'm, I'm uh, talking about, I would encourage you to look up that one uh, uh, session in the Spirit of the Antichrist series where I talk about fake news and Operation Mockingbird and some of that. It's in the title. You can see it. But, you know, Robin helped marginalize the word holy for an entire generation of American children to the point where it became basically meaningless. I mean, there were others who advanced the notion that holy was just another meaningless adjective, like, you know, the famous Chicago Cubs announcer, Harry Carey, who would famously say anytime uh, the Cubs would win, which wasn't very often when he was alive, uh, but he would say when the last out was about to be made, it might be, it could be, it is, holy cow, Cubs win, you know. And uh, I've never seen a holy cow. I'm not even sure what a holy cow is. But Robin uh, had quite a few uh, usages for that meaningless adjective, holy. He would say things like, holy sardine Batman, or holy glue pot. Well, what's a glue pot? I have no idea. Holy Merlin the magician. Or What about this one? Holy Long John Silver. Or here's one that really got my attention as I was looking back over these. Holy Halloween. Talk about a contradiction in terms. Uh, the, 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 the pinnacle of Satan's night. I mean, the, the, the one night when everyone worships Satan, whether they realize it or not. And speaking of Holy Halloween, Holy Hallucination, he would say, or Holy Captain Nemo. Or what about this one? Holy Almost. Holy Almost. Well, uh, sadly... Uh, Adam didn't even almost get it right, or Bert, I guess it was, Robin. Uh, there's no such thing as a holy cow. And, you know, I've, I've been to Toledo, and no offense if you're from Ohio, but it doesn't seem very holy. And I don't know what in the world a moly is. <laughs> um, I think I got one removed from my back one time, but I don't know what a holy moly is. I don't know. Um, what does it mean to be holy? Holy. We need to think about these when we sing these songs and make these statements. The biblical word holy comes from two words, a Hebrew word and a Greek word. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word was kodesh, used 469 times. And the first time that word kodesh was ever used in the written record of Scripture was when Moses met the Lord at the burning bush. Do you remember that? The Lord said, take off your sandals because the ground you are standing on is holy ground. Holy ground. And then in the New Testament, it's the word hagios. It's used 240 times. And its first use in the New Testament uh, was when the devil tempted Jesus and took him up uh, on a high hill and said, showed him the holy city. And said, all of this can be yours, the holy city. Indeed, Jerusalem is holy. What does Kodesh and Hagias, what does that mean? Well, in the Bible, it means to be pure or set apart. It means to be perfect. It means to be one of a kind or in a class by itself. There's no one like God. Only He is holy. So, in essence, it means 
to be unique. When we come to the end of the Bible, toward the end of God's plan of the ages, just prior to the time Christ comes back to make all things new and usher in that kingdom of glory, that holy kingdom, just prior to the time at the end of the millennium when the holy city, New Jerusalem, would come down and and God would be with man and man with God once again. We read in Revelation 15 that uh, the Lord alone is holy, for you alone are holy. In Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet, remember, cried, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. What made that night a holy night? What made that night a night like no other? A special night, a unique night. What made it holy? I just want to give you five reasons that as we look at Luke chapter 2 and this very familiar story, some of you can probably even quote it and suggest there were at least five things that come to my mind. If we had more time, we could sit here and talk about many more. But five things that made this night unique, a night like no other. The first one is that it fulfilled prophecy. It fulfilled prophecy. When you make a prediction and it comes true, that's pretty unique. I mean, it's nothing for people to make predictions and they don't come true that happens all the time there are pundits out there right now all across the map talking about what's going to happen in the next few weeks Uh, and uh, you know you ask me what's going to happen I'll tell you I'll say I'll tell you after it happens because that's the only time we'll know for sure but only a holy God can fulfill prophecy and in Luke chapter 2 we read that Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David which is called Bethlehem, not Sedalia, but Bethlehem, right? Well, if you go back some 700 years or so before Christ, you see a prophecy in Micah, who prophesied in the mid-700s B.C. in the southern kingdom of Judah, and he talked about how the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. So there's the prophecy, and then 700 years later, we see it come true. It was fulfilled when... Christ was born in Bethlehem. And then in Luke chapter 1, Gabriel, we read, announces to Mary, we kind of saw this played out in the social network Christmas, Behold, you will conceive. Behold, you will conceive. Well, what happened? In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, again, 700 years earlier, Isaiah was a contemporary of Micah. They prophesied at the same time. Also in the southern kingdom, he had said, The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. So there's the prophecy. So what Gabriel told Mary was the fulfillment of that 700 years earlier. And then in Luke 2, she brought forth her firstborn son. What had Isaiah said 700 years earlier? The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. There's the prophecy. And it was fulfilled 700 some odd years later when she brought forth her firstborn son. So that night was holy because it fulfilled prophecy. It fulfilled many prophecies, as would the entire life and ministry of Christ all the way up to the cross and resurrection did. And all of these prophetic statements that God had announced in the Old Testament that many had been waiting hundreds upon hundreds of years, even as we've been talking about on Sundays, going all the way back to the promise to Abraham, or even going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, where God promised Satan that the seed of the woman, a reference to the virgin birth there, would ultimately destroy 
this devil who had tried to take over heaven and got kicked out and tried to make the earth his own. It was holy because it fulfilled prophecy. It was also holy because angels were present. You know, it's not every day you see an angel. In fact, I'm not even sure we would know if we saw an angel. A uh, member of the book of Hebrews tells us that we should be careful to entertain strangers because that might be an angel and we don't know it. And the Bible is loaded with examples of uh, angelic beings, both good and bad, demons and good angels, manifesting as human beings. Uh, but that night was a holy night. It was special because angels, good angels, God's representatives were there. Angels served a variety of roles in human history, uh, and God's not through with them yet. He has a plan for angels. But primarily, they were intermediaries between God and man. They're his envoys, bringing important messages like Gabriel did to Mary. And sometimes these messages are good news, and sometimes they're bad news or warnings or judgments. But when an angel is involved, you better believe God is involved. And if God is involved, by definition, it's a holy night. Luke said, Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And suddenly he goes on, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward man. You know, when the Son of Man comes back, it's going to be marked on the occasion by angels as well. Jesus himself said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him. When angels are involved, it's something special. It's not every day you see an angel. And that night was unique and special because angels heralded the arrival of the Messiah. And then as I talked about earlier, this idea of glory was also present. You know, when, when a spotlight shines, it shines on something special, something that is intended to grab your attention. Think of a play. Uh, when they put the spotlight on something, it's because they want the audience to turn their attention there. In fact, uh, you know, you've been in, watched plays, I'm sure, and often while something's going over on over here where the spotlight is, if you look closely, you can see the stagehands and others off in the dark preparing the next scene, right? Uh, but the actors or the props that are in the spotlight are the ones that are unique on all the stage. They're the ones that they want you to watch at, watch right there. And they're the only ones in the spotlight. And that night was holy because the spotlight of God's glory filled the sky. The glory of the Lord first appeared in the wilderness to the children of Israel after they were rescued from Egypt. And that glory has diminished over time as Satan and his co-conspirators have tried to make this world their own. And the Bible tells us the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. But that's not the end of the story. God's got this. God has a plan. And someday Christ is going to come back and split the eastern sky. The same Christ that we celebrate his birth. The same Christ who lived a perfect, holy, sinless life. The same Christ who died on the cross for my sins and your sins. The same Christ who defeated death, hell, and the grave three days later when he rose from the grave. And the same Christ who 40 days later ascended to the right hand of God where he sits to this day in waiting. Waiting until God says, enough. It's time to go back. Get my bride, the church, uh, and rescue them from the great day of the Lord's wrath that's about to be poured out when Satan indwells the Antichrist and rules and reigns for seven years only to be defeated at the Battle of Armageddon when Christ comes back and 
takes the throne forever. Forever, as the angel of the Lord uh, told Joseph. But the glory was present. Again, the verse we just read, the glory of the Lord shone around them. And when God's glory is present, it's unique. It's a time like no other. It's a holy night. You remember in uh, second in Numbers chapter 20, um, uh, the, the people in the wilderness were grumbling and complaining because they had no water. Do you remember that story? And so they went to Moses and uh, Moses and Aaron uh, met with God at the tabernacle. And uh, God told Moses to speak to the rock, if you remember. But what did he do? He, he struck the rock instead. But anyway, when Moses and Aaron met with God, the Bible tells us they fell on their faces when the glory of God appeared to them. See, the glory of God affects you. That's why we sing, fall on your knees, right? Um, and in Second Chronicles uh, chapter uh, 7, at the dedication of Solomon's temple, when he had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifice on the altar. And the Bible tells us the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And what did they do? They bowed their faces. They bowed their faces. Or we could think of Peter, James, and John who went up with Jesus on the mountain where Jesus was then transfigured and the glory of God shone. And what did they do? They fell on their faces. You better believe it's a holy night. It's a unique moment when God's glory appears. But not only that, it was holy, it was unique because salvation had come. Whenever a rescue takes place, that's special. That's noteworthy. That's newsworthy. You know, you hear stories, you read books, you hear accounts, or you read accounts on the internet about people being rescued from something. You, you very seldom hear about them being almost rescued. Uh, that's not as noteworthy. But a rescue, a deliverance, which is what the word salvation means, is noteworthy. It's unique. And this one was the most unique of all because we had been rescued from the penalty of sin, all of mankind. There was born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Uh, the angel of the Lord had said to Joseph, he's going to save his people from their sins. And as we read earlier, Luke, or as I mentioned earlier, Luke tells us that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. We've been talking a lot about salvation in our Wednesday night Bible study. And we talked about this verse in 1 Timothy chapter 1, where Christ Jesus, we're told, came into the world for what purpose? To save sinners. That's what we're celebrating tonight, Christ coming into the world. Why did he come? To save sinners. It was a night like no other because the, the, the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world had finally come. No longer was it just prefigured or foreshadowed through the sacrificial system or experiences like Abraham and Isaac and others. It was the, 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 the fullness of times had come. And finally, it was also a holy night because peace was finally possible. Peace. You know, I did some checking, and there are 193 nations that are members of the UN. Uh, there are a few other nations that aren't, like Taiwan and Kosovo, but, but 193 nations, and more than 150 of them are currently involved in some form of conflict. And that number is even higher if you include sort of internal strife, militia groups and terrorist groups. Uh, even more depressingly, the 
The study for the Institute for Economics and Peace, the IEP, shows that the world has been getting progressively less peaceful over the last 15 years, since, the last, since say, 2005. Um, the only countries which are not involved in any form of conflict right now, Switzerland, Japan, Qatar, Costa Rica, Panama, and a couple of others. Why is world peace so elusive? Well, because the Prince of Peace hasn't come back yet. Uh, a few years ago, I was traveling for a speaking engagement, and I uh, came across a, just a handful of protesters on a street corner. And one of them was carrying a sign that said, Visualize World Peace. I'm sure you've seen signs like that or bumper stickers. I won't say what city, but let's just say it was west of here, about as far west as you can get before you land in the Pacific Ocean. Um, but although that might make for a, a catchy phrase, it's not going to do anything to actually bring about world peace. <laughs> Throughout human history, there have been limited periods of peace, isolated episodes of peace in certain regions or lands, but there has never been true lasting peace. And no one knows that better than the nation of Israel. Time after time, generation after generation, Israel has struggled to find real lasting peace. Even now, after World War II, when they became a nation once again, they're not in peace, and in fact, it's been nothing but lack of peace since then. And that should tell you something. By the way, they're not there in belief. This return of Israel into the land was not orchestrated by God. In fact, if you really want to dig deep, go ahead and look at why they returned to the land and who orchestrated and what that was all about. And look at some of the players behind the scenes pulling the strings. Don't be misled in thinking that somehow Israel is in the land because God regathered them right now. When God regathers Israel in the land, it will be in belief. Jesus says it will only be after they've cried, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus also said it will only be when he sends supernaturally his angels to supernaturally regather them into the land. We've had all kinds of peace agreements since Israel became a nation again, but each time the broker of peace, though they might have claimed to have discovered some key ingredient, has failed. But one day it'll be different. That's because the one whom the angels said arrived with the statement, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, was in fact the prince of peace. And in God's timetable, it wasn't time to usher in the kingdom of peace. But make no mistake, that kingdom of peace is still coming. Someday there will be peace on earth. But in the meantime, there can be the peace of God. Uh, Paul puts it this way, that Jesus Christ, the one who's going to return someday to make all things new, is our peace. He's broken down the wall of separation. And Paul said that we, by faith, can have peace with God. Listen, we long for the peace of God, Absolutely. Boy, we wish it would come. Um, and I think if you think 2020 was rough, you better buckle your seatbelt because all indications are 2021 is going to be worse. So we want that peace of God. But in the meantime, as we await the sovereign creator who alone knows the timetable, um, he, even Jesus said it's not for us to know the times or the seasons, right? We need to make sure we have peace with God. And another way to ask that is that is to ask it this way. Is this a holy night for you? 
Is there something unique and one of a kind in your life? Has there been a moment when you've trusted in Jesus Christ and Him alone as the only one who can forgive your sin and give you the gift of eternal life? Uh, I think I know most of you, but I don't know everybody, and so I don't want to presume anything. And if you're here tonight and you don't know for certain that you'll spend eternity in heaven, tonight can be a very special and unique and holy night for you. If you'll simply... Uh, come to Christ in childlike faith and say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. And Jesus, I know you and you alone are the only one with the power to give life and forgive sin. And I'm placing my faith in you and you alone to give me uh, salvation. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, just this reminder, uh, looking at that holy night through the lens of Scripture and seeing so many things that made it a one-of-a-kind night. Lord, I pray if there's one here within the sound of my voice that needs this to be a one-of-a-kind evening by, in simple childlike faith, trusting in your Son and our Savior for eternal life, that tonight would be that night. And Lord, now as we close this service, we just pray that you would just fill our hearts with joy and hope expectantly, recognizing that hope was born 2,000 years ago, but hope has not yet been realized, and we look forward with great anticipation to the return of your Son. And it's in his precious name that we pray. Amen.